Hi everyone, my name is Anthony Burton and uh, welcome to Talk Talks. Today's episode features a conversation between Zalika Reed Benta of Diaspora Dialogues and author Carrie Unlung. Uh, it was recorded live at the Diaspora Dialogues offices and uh, Zalika is here for some more introductions. Hope you enjoy. I'm Zalika Reed Benta, Program Manager of Diaspora Dialogues here with Carrie Anlung. Um, for our prog- for our podcast series interviewing DD alumni about their newly published books. So Carrie Ann Lung is a fiction writer and educator. She holds a PhD in sociology and equity studies from OISE at the University of Toronto. Her debut novel, The Wondrous Woo, was shortlisted for the 2014 Toronto Book Awards, and her collection of linked stories, That Time I Loved You, was published at the end of March with HarperCollins. So that's what we're discussing today. We're discussing That Time I Loved You, which is a beautifully written collection of stories. I really enjoyed it. Um, And it explores a particular subdivision of the Scarborough suburbs in the 1970s. Loon takes what we think we know about the suburbs, scrapes off the veneer, and exposes the heart and tragedy and mess of the inner lives of the people who live there. Her characters are funny, flawed, and complex, as is the neighborhood she has chosen to explore. Judy Fong Bates has said that Loon reveals a suburb on the cusp of change. Families whose names are no longer Smith and Watson, but rather Chow and De Silva. Loong illuminates with clear, unassuming prose and much compassion, a neighborhood that is complex, disturbing, funny, sad, and very human. So it is my great pleasure to welcome Carrie Ann Loong. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. So, I mean, first off is, of course, congratulations on your publication. Thank you. um, it has been very well received, which must it be has. Like, amazing. It for is you. amazing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and well yeah. deserved. Like I said, I love the collection. Um, there was a rave review in the Globe and Mail that called your collection a memorable, bewitching read. <gasps> yes. Amazing. <laughs> and, um, you know, when I actually read the description of, of what that review of like what the review said about your book, it actually made me think of David Lynch and like Blue Velvet, mm. sort of, you know, the underbelly of suburb- mm-hmm. uh, suburbia. And um, your collection is also very cinematic mm. and very atmospheric. There's like a tone of foreboding, but also a lot of light and warmth. And was that something mm-hmm. that you aimed for or... Uh, well, because I wanted my characters to be complicated, right, and to be as as human as they could be, um, I thought about, you know, life and its kind of mixed bag of all of those things, of the lightness and the darkness and the ironies and the humor and the tragedies, all of it together. Right. Yeah. So I didn't want them to be one dimensional. I wanted to be able to really show all of those. Right. Yeah. Of course. So, like, I read some of your other interviews, and you were talking about writing the suicides and how you didn't want it to be a backdrop, how you Mm -hmm. wanted, you know, you didn't want it to be a sort of motif or anything like that. So was it very difficult for you to write about that subject matter and to get it to that certain nuanced place that you managed to to get it to in the book? Yes. Um, I think... When I was reflecting, and you know, both of my books are are based in Scarborough, and I draw a lot of from memory of growing up there, and so that kind of coming of age period, I really tried to think about those things that made me grow up really fast, right? right? And um, and there was a suicide in my neighborhood, and so when I was thinking back on that, I thought, what a interesting moment, and remembering what it felt like in my neighborhood and and my recollections of it and thinking about what it meant to be coming of age 
and to have this interruption of someone choosing to kill themselves. Right. Right. And so I didn't want it just to be um, a literary device. Uh, I wanted it to be very much real, which is what the second story is about. Right. I wanted to give voice to uh, one of the characters who does kill themselves. Um, but it was really complicated, and I was trying to really contain that, that, that character of June, who right. is so alive, right? Yes. She's so insistently alive because she's a child, and yet faced with the fact that um, people are killing themselves in her neighborhood. Like, I really was very interested in that juxtapositioning. Right. And... Um, and how, as a child, like, it's so hard being a kid. I have a kid now, so I remember how hard it is to be a kid. How you have to make yourself so much larger to encompass all of that complexity, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so that was, um, it was difficult to, to write about in many, many ways. Right. Yeah. yeah, speaking of that, because um, one thing that I absolutely loved about the book was that you managed to um, to write the child voice in very clearly, but also at the same time, because I know a lot of people don't necessarily like reading children, but you mm-hmm. had that ability of um, making this sort of childlike innocence as well as being aware and being conscious. And that that seems like a very precarious balance to mm-hmm. sort of to sort of do and I also because June is the June has a first person narrative and everyone yes. else has third person yes. so was that was that something that sort of that you planned or, or did it just come that way well the first story grass I actually started here yes. at Diaspora yes. Dialogues with uh with Robin Maharaj as my mentor and um so that was written so long ago and it was in first person, and it was in the voice of June. And I always thought about that story and how I would go back to it. Because I wrote that before even The Wondrous Woo. Right. And I wanted to see, like, was that a going to grow into a novel, or what was it? And what happened was it became these multiple stories that interwoven, you know, into this one neighborhood, and the characters appeared in and out of each other's stories. Um, so it was interesting that it became more than just June's voice that I needed. But it was definitely, it just felt right to me that June had the first person voice. And I always regretted not doing an MFA in creative writing. So writing That Time I Loved You was my own self-study, really. Right. Like I really wanted, and, and exploring POV especially was really interesting to me. So um, I also had wanted to do a story in second person, but I gave up. <laughs> I guess second <laughs> I person just gave is, up. Yeah, it's is difficult. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, you. Yeah, so that actually brings me back because you started the collection. Well, you you did your your first story at, mm-hmm. at DD mentorship, and in another interview, you talk about how you didn't really have a traditional sort of way of writing of writing of mm-hmm. this collection, and I. I just, I mean, you did speak about your process, but I think I just wanted to delve into that a bit mm. more just because um, a lot of people who write short story collections, especially if they're interwoven, get the question, why didn't you make it a novel? Was there a particular mm-hmm. reason that it just didn't feel like a novel to you? I never know why. And I never know when I start a story what form it would take. So this just 
kept happening where it was short story after short story. And that was just seemed right. right. And then soon they kind of began, began to gel into a full book of link stories. Um, so I don't, I'm not the kind of writer who has a real outline or a real direction or organization at all. Like I just write and then um, the story and the characters then kind of let me know what's happening. Yeah. Did you find that there was a lot of difference between how you wrote this and how you wrote The Wondrous Wu? Definitely. I think like the other reason too is when I, when I wrote The Wondrous Wu, I actually had this chunk of time I was able to devote to it. And it takes, it takes that kind of time and space to get the momentum of a novel. Whereas with this collection, I was working full time, I have a kid, and I was arrogant enough to feel like, oh, I could write short stories, you know, without really like um, taking into account how incredibly uh, difficult and beautiful the short form is, right? Um, so I was able to, you know, do po- had pockets of time where I was able to sustain a life of one story, but not a whole novel. So that was also part of it. Um, and Wondrous Woo just it just kind of flowed out of me. Um, whereas the, this book it wasn't um, it wasn't such a you know flow. There was a lot of stop and go. Um, some of the stories were harder than others, and I felt very much when I was writing um, particular stories, I felt the characters so alive with me, and um, and some of them, like, you know, like June can't stop talking, like she would, you know, sit and tell me everything, whereas other characters took longer, um, so, yeah, I, I kind of, I've talked about it in that way, because that's what it felt like, I was actually in relationship with characters, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Can you talk more about the characters that were harder for you to to converse with? Um, The story Sweets, Popo, um, was really difficult. And she is as the same as she is in the book. She's stubborn. She doesn't, you know, she's not someone who analyzes things or really self-reflective about herself or her life or what's going on around me, around her. Um, so it took a long time to really get in her head and to think about, you know, who she was and what she would do and how she would make sense of this new place that she's immigrated to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you ever start a story thinking it was going to be about one character and then it ended up being about a different one? No. Um, I always, I think I always start with character and then the story comes. So uh, the surprises are in the minor characters or when characters from other stories sneak up and come in. Um, But I always, I think, start with character in my stories. So a while ago you were talking about um, the tragedy of suicides and, and growing up with that tragedy and the complexity and how hard it is being a kid. Darren's story and like confronting the racism and, and confronting the racism through the eyes of a child. Did, how did you how did you go about doing that? Um, again, I, I reflected a lot on my own childhood and the things that I saw and um, and also things I regret. Um, we didn't, you know, in the 70s, we didn't have the language to talk about these things. We didn't, you know, and without being able to name what was happening to you, you you don't know, right? So it was a time of a lot of, like, a lot of multiculturalism fairs and, you know, dress in your 
cultural costumes and eat your egg rolls kind of uh, an era. And underneath it, in the everyday lived experiences of folks of color, it was it was pretty brutal. Um, and so writing this and writing Darren's story particularly, I wanted to go back to thinking about, you know, how we felt knowing our experience, but never having language around describing our experience. And that kind of like, what does that do to you, you know, and to to our bodies and to our minds and that that um, process of internalizing hate and how do you resist and how is there also still joy and real relationship so I really wanted to explore all of those things because all of those things existed too right what do you think about I mean because you were talking about how you have a child now uh so now we do have the language in order to that can pinpoint the certain things that are happening. Mm-hmm. But do you think that as a child, you still have that language? Or is it sort yes. of the same as, as my, your memories? Yeah, it's really a different moment. Um, so my kid is 10 and has the ability <laughs> to say things that and name things that I never could when I was his age. And I think there's so much more consciousness um, around so many issues that um, he's able to. And it's also it's also introduced in school. Um, so yeah, it's a really different moment. So memory uh, is a very big factor in how you wrote this um, this book. And I really enjoyed when when reading it how rooted in, in time we were, which, sounds odd but I I feel like you like really hook us into the 70s I mean sometimes it's with you know music like a lot of Michael Jackson MJ's like everywhere yes Um, (laughs) and and you know and you and you mentioned certain movies like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid but there's also things that are very specifically Toronto and very specifically Scarborough you mentioned Chum FM and and I just wanted to know did you ever have to do any sort of research into into this time like because of me may have forgotten or or was everything just like pure memory totally my favorite thing to research when writing is music so I would google like top hits of 1979 you know and I would remember and uh and every book I've written every book I've written two um (laughs) quite a lot so many um I made a playlist so I listen to the playlist a lot as I'm writing um, and actually, in the very first drafts of that time I loved you, each uh, each story had its own song, so it had the lyrics. But then it was like a nightmare to try and get you know the rights to right. using those lyrics. Um, but yeah, each one had its own song. Uh, so music is a really big part of how I get into the the sensibilities of that period. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, I'm also. I'm going to sort of ask you a little bit of writerly questions just because a lot of our listeners will be writers. Titles. I was very Mm -hmm. stricken by the titles that you that you chose um, personally, because I'm also really bad at titles. But um, how did that how did that work for you, choosing your titles and also like the placement of your stories and how it flowed and everything like that? Yeah. Um, Well, in terms of placement of the stories, I went with a linear timeline. Um, so, and then, and because June has three stories, the beginning, the middle, and the end, 
that really rooted um, the timeline. So it's kind of like her arc in that way. Um, the titles, well, the very first story was always called Grass, and I really loved one-word titles. <laughs> so They pop. It, yeah. it works wonderfully well. Oh, good. Um, so that was, that was why. And it became, it was really obvious to me what the titles would be after I would finish the stories. And then that time I loved you, I am a uh, Korean drama, like, addict. Yes. Love Korean drama. <laughs> <laughs> and um and I saw one it was pretty crappy but the title was uh the time I loved you 1000 times or something like that it was really you know and then I just remember turning that phrase over and over in my head until I thought that time I loved you and it really just kind of captured for me what the stories were about and also about my childhood in Scarborough so yeah did you run into uh, issues in terms of perspective? Like what I really loved about Kiss is that it's Josie's perspective right after June's perspective. Mm-hmm. And we're so rooted in June in the first person story. And then you have Josie's perspective about that relationship. Was that, how was that writing, writing Josie's perspective, considering that, you know, as you said, June loves to talk and she's very, very alive. And, and she mm-hmm. sort of just, you know, takes over mm-hmm. the stories and everything. I think changing from first to third was what made it easier, right? That I wasn't actually inhabiting um, Josie's body in that way. So it gave some a bit of critical distance for me to be able to to show Josie differently, I think. Um, and it is interesting because Josie and June are often, like they're called the twins, right? Because they're best friends and they're both Chinese girls and they're both the same age. Um, so yeah, for me, I wanted it to be really, they're kind of like the hinges in the book for me that they're both placed together and they're both in the middle. Um, but Josie's a really different kid and a really different situation. Right. So, um, yeah, I tried, I tried to also like bring out, um, their friendship because there's not a lot written about girl friendships. And it's so intense, right? It's such an intense bond. Um, yeah, but I wanted them to be very distinct people. Mm-hmm. So you said you start with a character. Does the character sort of just come to you? Do you really think about the character? Do you know that you want to have a particular kind of character and then you work around it? Or does it just like you're walking one day and you're like, oh my God, I have this character in my head? Yes. Like that. <laughs> um, they, like, it actually feels like a haunting. I know that sounds really weird. No, that but sounds amazing. Yeah. They, <laughs> they come and they're with me all the time. Like, you know, they're standing there waiting for the streetcar. They're, like, with me drinking coffee. And uh, I think about them all the time. Then all kinds of, like, backstory happens in my brain that never makes it onto the page about who it is they are. And, um, and then by the time, you know, I'm writing, it just kind of comes out. Like, it just seems so obvious to me that this is them and this is what they would do, you know? Like, when I think about the Popo's collection of wigs and naming them after John Wayne movies, like, I have no clue where that came from. You know, <laughs> like, sometimes people ask me, like, how do you craft that? How do you imagine that? And I don't know. I think that's part of that um, touch of magic that happens when you're in that creative process, right? It just, it just comes and it makes sense and it works. 
And when you write the story, does the did the haunting stop or are they just with you all the time? It was hard to let them go. Um, there was before the book was supposed to um, hit the shelves on March 27th, but somehow some bookstores got it before then. And a friend of mine uh, showed me a picture of the books in, in a bookstore, and it really freaked me out. <laughs> Because I wasn't psychologically ready to share them yet. And I had to have a moment where I was in the subway and I felt like, okay, I'm going to call everybody together. So all my characters, I'm like, are we ready for this? And everyone was like, yes. I'm like, okay. So I actually had to have this moment of letting go. Um, But it is, right? Like We sit here with our writing and with these characters and they're only ours for the longest time as we grapple with them and we're with them and then when they go out into the world they no longer belong to us right they belong to the readers now so there was a real moment where I had to like physically let go do you have a favorite character in your novel or your I love them all I love them all but the kids definitely um I love I love uh, Darren and June and Josie and um, I've had a few people who've asked me why I didn't write a chapter for Nav right. because Nav's a real favorite too. So I love Nav. Um, I mm. also really love Darren. I love the the specificity of the of the crayons and the and the pencils that he right. uses to do his comics. It's 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 just right. it's a wonderful detail that really right. roots you into to the kind of character that yeah. he that he is. Is there anything about this novel or about this? Sorry, I keep calling it a novel, but it's a short story collection, Link's mm-hmm. short stories, um, that you really want people to know or that people don't know that you think that they should? Anything like that? Oh, that's a big question. I don't know. I, I think, um, like I said, it belongs to readers now. So how whatever they however wherever they meet them in their lives and what they take from it, it's it's theirs to take. I don't want to uh, I don't want to put it put too much into the reading. Um, yeah. Speaking of that, has there ever been a review or people who talk to you who have come up with an imp- interpretation of your work that you never thought would happen, and you're like, oh, uh, that's that's interesting. Different. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think with The Wondrous Woo, uh, I really, you know, it was really surprising to me how um, people took all these universal kinds of messages out of it, because it's so specific. To me, I thought it was very specific about um, the experience of being um, a young Chinese-Canadian woman in the 80s, right? But... um, the ways in which people connect to writing and and certainly with me as a reader like I I connected to people vastly different from me all my life of course but it surprised me the resonances that you don't expect right um is really cool it's a really cool part of um having your work read Awesome. I haven't heard much back about that time I loved you yet. Right. Just that Nav should have had a story. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I've heard. <laughs> no, no, it was great. Um, I I found it incredibly funny and also very, very sad. And it's mm-hmm. just a wonderfully drawn book. I, I, I oh, really, really you. enjoyed it. Thank you so much. 
That Time I Loved You, published by HarperCollins Canada, is available for sale at Amazon, Indigo, and fine bookstores everywhere. Further information on Carrie Ann Loong, please visit CarrieAnnLoong.com. Well, thank you for listening to uh, this episode of Talk Talks with Zalika Reed Benta and Carrie Unlung. Uh, remember to keep up to date with Talk Talks at talkmagazine.ca and don't forget to follow us on Twitter at talkwriting. That's T O K writing. Thanks.